Good afternoon, and uh, welcome to AWS reInvent 2017. I am Sri Ilaprolu, part of uh, public sector team at AWS focused on IoT, and I head up our IoT activities focused on, like I said, public sector customers and partners around the world. Today, uh, in addition to myself, I have a couple of customers from AWS here on stage with us. Uh, they're going to be the ones that are actually going to be talking, doing a lot of the talking. Uh, Matt, who's VP of Engineering from LiveSafe, and Sridhar, who's a systems analyst for the city of Virginia Beach. Uh, both are going to be, like I said, talking for the most part of the session. Which brings me to the topic of the session itself, which is emergency management and responding to disasters whether they're man-made or natural, and how can technology help in that regard? While it is probably unlikely that technology alone will never be able to help mitigate the risks of emergencies and disasters, there's a lot that could be done in preparing to deal with disasters as well as responding during disasters themselves. And that's really where both of our customers here have really interesting stories to tell. Uh, so I'll start off asking Matt to come up here and talk about what they're doing at LiveSafe and some of the interesting things that uh, they're learning as they're going about doing things. Uh, and then he'll, uh, Sridhar will follow after that, talk about what City of Virginia Beach and Tidewater Area in Virginia is doing uh, and how that solution could be relevant worldwide uh, in dealing with disasters and preparing for disasters before they become really a big challenge. With that, I'll turn it over to Matt. And for those uh, that have questions, I'll say hold off till the end. We'll try to get through the content first, and we'll take all questions towards the end. If for some reason we're running short on time, we're more than happy to step out and take questions after the session concludes. All right? Thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks, Sri, for that introduction. Um, uh, as uh, Sri mentioned, whoa, it's really loud. Um, Sounds really loud. Is it really loud? Okay. All right. Um, so uh, I'm the VP of engineering at a company called LiveSafe. We're a startup uh, based just across the river from DC in Roslyn. Um, and uh, um, it's interesting that we're talking about, or not, old school. Uh, it's interesting we're talking about emergency management because both uh, Sridhar and I are going to talk a little bit about more about prevention and trying to get ahead of things, as Sri was mentioning. Um, everyone thinks of our field a, a lot about ENS or emergency notification, but uh, our goal is really uh, on prevention. Um, so what's the business problem, just as a quick, before we get into the tech? <coughs> um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go on uh, in the media, in, in, in the country right now, even what happened just here in Vegas uh, back in the beginning of October, sadly. Um, and... People have all heard, how many people have heard of see something, say something? Everyone raise their hand, right? Everyone's, everyone's heard that. How about who you're supposed to report to when you see something? How many people know for all those instances when and where they're supposed to report? I can't see any of you, but I don't see any hands. I don't think any hands are up. So that's really what we're here to solve, is to try and make sure that there's someone for you to talk to, uh, to, to receive that information and do so uh, anonymously. And the reason why is, uh, and, and this is, uh, we talked about IoT at the beginning, and, and um, you know, the key for us is uh, we're using human sensors uh, for LiveSafe, and that is all of you. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about how that works. But the biggest thing to remember is most of these things that do happen um, are preventable, or at least uh, are the ability to reduce the severity of the incident. And what we found from some of the research is uh, three-quarters of um, incidents that happen, someone saw something before it happened. Someone noticed something out of place. Uh, we're all really good at noticing things that are out of place in our usual daily lives. And so um, if we can leverage that, we think that we can help change the way things work and change the dynamic. So our focus is on prevention, engaging all of you, employees or students, um, to be able to be those human sensors until we get to the more advanced technical ones that uh, Sridhar is going to talk about, um, and being able to hopefully prevent these things from happening. Uh, so what is LiveSafe? LiveSafe is a, a, a cloud-based platform that uh, has several key components I'll walk through, um, mobile application, uh, desktop, and API. 
The main thing is it's a two-way communication platform. It allows for anonymous reporting. Uh, we really are focused on privacy in our platform. It's one of the key things. Uh, we are a um, uh, you know, secure by design platform. We only reveal information when one of you decides to share that with other people. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about how things are, are set up. Uh, so I'm going to go left, right, and then middle. Um, on the left side, you have the mobile application, which all of you might use, um, or an SDK, which I'll talk about a little bit later, so we can embed in other applications. Um, and this is the same application for any organization on our platform. There's one application you download, and you can actually join multiple organizations. Um, so you can verify using different uh, technologies, PIN or email verification or SSO, to join a community. On the right side is the command dashboard. It's web-based, thin client. Um, handles auditing, user management. Um, we integrate with Workday to get user information into the system. But most importantly is in the center, and that's the multi-tenant REST architecture. Um, so uh, it's redundant architecture that's built on top of AWS. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Uh, we use uh, best practices around VPC and security, encryption. Um, all of the activity is audited uh, for compliance, those sorts of things. Um, are at the core of the, the platform. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the technology in a minute, but just so you have some orientation, um, the biggest, one of the biggest things is sending in a tip ahead of time, so being able to report something that you see. And in this case, uh, we're connected to our fictitious GPC corporation, uh, but could, this would be your school or, or your company, and that allows you to have a two-way chat uh, with the security office. You can request help immediately if something does happen, and we're now uh, in the middle of an incident, right? Our goal is to be before, but those things happen. We want to help that as well. You can also uh, use a security map uh, to get access to map-based resources and uh, text-based resources or file-based resources uh, on the right for offline access. So even if you're disconnected from the network in case of an actual emergency, you have uh, your resources available to you. I don't know how many of you are older in the room, but uh, I used to get a big binder when I joined the corporation. Here are all the policies and the emergency plans and everything else, and it immediately went on a shelf. And when I left the company, I dutifully brought it back and returned it to HR, blew off the dust. Um, we have the ability to do that remotely and put it on your, your phone where it's more useful. Last is we have a peer-to-peer -peer system outside of the organization that lets people look out for each other. Because uh, LiveSafe, we're really trying to make the world a better place, and that's uh, it's not just you and the organization or you and your school, but uh, you helping out your friends and your family. So key thing for reporting, which is that we're going to go through quickly uh, on the tech side, um, is that you can report tips, and those will go to a number of different sources. The dashboard can be filtered by different departments. Uh, so the typical one would be security, uh, so suspicious activity, something that looks out of place. Um, but you can also send things to facilities. Uh, uh, lights out in a parking garage makes the parking garage unsafe, for example, um, and uh, report that in. Uh, we get a lot of those uh, for people trying to be focused on prevention. Uh, HR, there's a lot going on in the news right now with sexual harassment and sexual assault. Uh, being able to report to HR or Title IX at the university setting, um, or even uh, cyber. So. Uh, most of the time, phishing attacks are actually social engineering um, for all the work we do on the technical side to protect our systems. Lots of times people just go for the social aspect. Being able to report those things in quickly uh, is all be able to be done through the platform. And those other three areas I won't spend a lot of time on, but emergency reporting, safety uh, map, and kind of offline resources are all configurable by the organization. I'll take just a second on SafeWalk. This is where you can look out for each other, um, and you can do walking or driving mode, and uh, it allows us to use the capabilities of the mobile device, the location services, to report your location to your friends, to your family uh, that you set up through your contacts. And you can do that either actively, like I'm going to leave now, I want you to watch and make sure I get home, or you could be walking home from uh, a bar or a, a library late at night and set it up to passively alert only when uh, you don't get there on time. So if you get there on time, your friend's not bothered, no problem. If you don't, then it can all look out for you and, and send a note. 
last thing before we get into tech, I think the, just an interesting kind of real world story about how the system gets used. So a university, um, we just finished uh, or left a, a period of time. Uh, if any of you have college age kids, um, I, mine have a long way to go there. They're little, but um, the college age kids who go to school their first year, the time between orientation and Thanksgiving is called the red zone. It's a time when uh, lots of uh, unfortunate things can happen. People's guard is down their new environment. Um, that includes alcohol-related issues, uh, sexual assault, uh, those sorts of things. And so um, this incident happened during orientation. Uh, an older gentleman showed up at the girls' dorm and kind of was uh, harassing some people and asking uh, you know, to hook up with some of the, uh, the people checking in or, or moving into their room. Um, made a number of people uncomfortable. They used the LiveSafe app to report that uh, to the security office. By the time that they had that quick conversation through the app, the person left. They didn't know where they were. Um, the security forces actually then used the same picture to send a broadcast out and ask the rest of the community, have you seen this person, person of interest? We want to just talk to them. Immediately, five or more people turned around and reported on another side of campus, the same person, uh, and took pictures and sent them in. And within an hour, uh, security was able to come in and remove the person from campus, and they were actually banned from campus for two years. So again, a focus on prevention, really focused on two-way communication, all made available through the AWS platform and the mobile applications that we have today. OK, so let's talk a little bit about tech. So the uh, LiveSafe system is kind of on its second rev. Uh, our first kind of MVP was, was built in PHP on the back end uh, using very horizontally scalable uh, uh, you know, auto-scale groups. Um, in the last uh, two years, we've rewritten it uh, all in Scala and Akka. Um, how many people, show of hands, use Scala in their development? I love all of you. Let's hang out afterwards. Um, I love Scala, uh, and uh, we use Scala and Akka for asynchronous programming, making that uh, easier for us. Um, we also leverage Cassandra for that persistence. So the um, actors that we use in our system are all using persistence sitting on top of Cassandra, which is running on EC2. Uh, and then I'll talk a little bit about our workflow where we spread everything out into Cassandra, uh, into Kafka, sorry, for uh, kind of massive broadcasts and, and sending things out uh, asynchronously at high speed. Uh, our core business data is stored in uh, MySQL. We're using RDS for that and read replication I'll talk about in a second. Mobile apps uh, are written, they're native. We believe really strongly in the UX. Uh, and so uh, we've got uh, Objective-C for the iOS side moving uh, to Swift and Java for Android. The, um, and kicking around Kotlin now for, uh, for the uh, Android side. Um, one of the cool things uh, we also do is you can take part of the app and embed it in another application. Uh, so use all the same APIs, same backend we talked about. Um, and uh, so how many people here are 49ers fans? Anybody? Not a one. Wow. Good. I'm not a 49ers fan either. No. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm a Giants fan, so we talk about rush seasons. Um, but if you were to go download the 49ers application, and you want to report something to security, it'll actually fire up our SDK right there in the application. So with about six or eight lines of code, they were able to incorporate report tip, chat, and receive broadcast into their application. Um, and so we see that as a great way to, we're not a B2C company, but a great way for us to help get to consumers who uh, are uh, customers of our clients. Um, Spent a lot of time lately rewriting things uh, in, in new technology. So the command dashboard is, is not to be forgotten. Our, our dashboard was originally a homegrown JavaScript jQuery uh, system, rebuilt uh, ground up in Angular 2. Um, and we use uh, the CLI to really help uh, in uh, tweaking kind of the Angular uh, base code that we use. Uh, and we use uh, Docker and Docker Swarm um, for uh, deployment. All of the new stuff is Dockerized. Uh, and Jenkins to help with that automation. So again, entirely uh, AWS-based, 
Um, we're using, re, you know, RDS. I'll talk a little bit about lessons learned, but you know, using RDS makes RDS for us just a, or MySQL a, a non-event, and so we don't worry about. Um, we use it for read replication. Um, uh, we use it for failover. We actually use read replication in other regions so that we can automatically handle our failover uh, outside of region as well as in region, um, and uh, reduce the load uh, for queries so we can use re-replication for that. We use S3 for our attachments, uh, including uh, encryption, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, and org resources, those kind of the binder I talked about before, offline resource, all that's managed in, uh, in S3. Again, something replicated we don't worry about, makes our lives easier. Uh, for encryption, we leverage KMS. We have a big debate between HSM and KMS. Um, HSM has some kind of weighty uh, requirements and we were able to, to leverage KMS and we constantly are chatting with the KMS team that as they put more and more new stuff in, we're constantly asking for new things. Uh, so uh, latest is bring your own key, which is a nice thing that you can do now with KMS. Um, for outbound, we the biggest thing is leveraging SNS and SES. Um, so we're sending push notifications out when we send out a broadcast uh, to uh, um, an organization you know, it might be 100,000, several hundred thousand messages uh, go out through push, go out through SES. Um, uh, the SES system has been great. We're using the updated status monitoring um, so that we can run it over a thousand messages uh, per second uh, for outbound um, capability. And then CloudWatch and CloudTrail are key for monitoring. Uh, for us, we, we're very small, we're, you know, we're under 100 people. Uh, and we don't, uh, uh, using these things, tools helps us. Uh, we all are on call still, uh, so we, we have our own uh, rotation. Uh, so having some of these makes our lives easier to, to help monitor the systems. We tie CloudTrail into our IDS, uh, which is ThreatStack, which is, uh, I don't work for the company at all, but it's a pretty cool product. Uh, it really makes making sense of CloudTrail very easy. It helps report on compliance issues that you have um, and helps you kind of weed out the, the important changes that happen throughout the day. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about two main flows in the app and just talk about the architecture of those. So, uh, reporting a tip I talked about before, it's kind of a, one of the key functions of the system. Um, so, uh, you come in through, from the mobile device and you're gonna report a tip. It's gonna go into an ELB, uh, as it normally would, and goes to our API container uh, running uh, one of the APIs. We're moving to microservices, so depending on which call you're making, that may or may not be a microservice or our older kind of larger uh, monolith. Um, but that then does two things. It reports into our main business database in RDS and then uh, uses actor persistence in Cassandra to support uh, what we're gonna do then, which is a finite state machine to actually take a bunch of actions for the user to notify people and then we return back to the front end. So the front end is very responsive. Um, now we dump messages into Kafka and we start performing tasks. So sending an SES alert, uh, sending a receipt to you that says, hey, we got your tip, thank you very much. Sending out uh, an SMS message through OpenMarket, sending uh, a web socket update to the dashboards through uh, PubNub. And if we have webhooks set up, we also use the same architecture to send off asynchronous webhooks, any number of them, uh, and handle retry through that same finite state machine uh, called an orchestrator. Um, that all manages its persistence through Cassandra. While all that is going on, we go back to the mobile device, and the mobile device says, oh, I also have a picture to add. That's a separate call, comes up, goes through the same, same flow, except it's gonna dump the data and stream it directly to uh, S3, and we'll use KMS to encrypt that uh, if the organization is encrypting their, their data. So that's a, a kind of a simple flow, but leverages all those pieces inside of the AWS uh, architecture. Slightly uh, more advanced, has three different flows, a check-in broadcast. So when we normally do a broadcast, it's simply a one-way message. Check-in broadcast is the incident where something happens, you geofence the area and say, okay, I want anyone who's in this area to check in and let me know if they're okay or if they need help. So today that's done lots of times with 
phone lists and travel schedules and things like that here, we can do that in near real time. Um, but the flow comes in, again, through the EOB, the API, and it starts another orchestrator. And the key thing here is now dumping tons and tons of task messages to Kafka. Uh, so uh, tens or hundreds of thousands. Uh, each activity is its own message. So every email, every push, every uh, SMS uh, goes through that same system. And uh, each one then goes off and does its activity and reports back statistics to the the main actor that's handling all of that. And so that's where the actor system is very powerful. We don't have to worry as much about uh, uh, threading and activity because it handles all that. It you know, pumps it through a single uh, mailbox. Um, we also trigger PubNub updates to any dashboards that happen to be open at the time um, to let someone know if I sent a broadcast, the other dashboards get updated too. What's more interesting is kind of the check-in side, so on the middle row, the user actually responds back, hey, yep, I'm okay, or no, I need help. That comes in and actually writes directly to Cassandra first and starts a new actor, uh, and really this is because of volume and peak volume. So here we don't want to wait for the insert or have contention on the database, the, um, the MySQL database, so we write to Cassandra and then it can actually go off and write uh, user status in batch later to the database, and later being a second or two later, not hours later. Um, but then it also fires vertically down to Kafka and sends out PubNub updates. And the dashboard actually will sit there and use that to update its statistics in real time. You don't have to refresh. The highest volume thing that comes in actually is the status updates. So when we send out all these messages, uh, SES and Open Market constantly send us back, hey, uh, that's queued. Hey, that's actually delivered. That's been rejected. Here's what do you want to do with that? All of that comes in actually goes straight to Kafka at high volume. We just take the message and return as quickly as possible. Um, and then that goes through and actually, I don't have the arrow drawn this way, but it actually goes off and updates statistics in Cassandra through that, again, persistent actor, uh, and updates the dashboard by dumping a message, uh, another message in Kafka to go out through PubNub. Um, so all of that, you know, our architecture is moving very much from a synchronous set of APIs to a very asynchronous set of APIs, right? As, as, the, as our volume, unfortunately, we don't have like the, the Black Friday, like you know to ramp up all your servers or any incident that, that, that kind of ties to it. We, we have at any day, at any time, we could have a sudden high spike. So we really focus on making sure that the system will handle those sorts of things and be responsive as possible to the end user. So just a couple of lessons learned and looking ahead. So I mentioned before, um, you know, some of the, the um, managed services are really great in that I don't have to think about them. Um, we don't think about them very much. So RDS and S3, um, you know, places where we've rolled our own, we spend a lot more time on our DevOps work. Um, so Cassandra and Kafka currently. Um, but the ones that we, we do use, and we use a large number of them, uh, work very well. Um, if you're doing SOC 2, is anyone here have to deal with SOC 2 compliance? Yeah, that's fun. Um, and thankfully, um, a lot of the best practices will help you get set up for that. I can't stress this enough. Set up your IAM rules early and get them uh, nice and clean and separated. Uh, that's a key one for some of the compliance issues, as well as leveraging CloudTrail and CloudWatch to show that you're doing uh, active monitoring of your system. Um, this is also where the IDS on top of all that is really helpful. Um, uh, AWS has been very, very good to us. Um, so we've had a lot of support uh, being a small company. So if you're in a small company, uh, they, they are very helpful in getting you kind of bootstrapped off the ground. This is my second startup um, working with AWS from the ground up. Um, and uh, while I started at LiveSafe, after the initial had been built, they had been working with AWS since day one. Uh, they've been very helpful. Also, business support um, when we do need it, when something is responsive, they've been extremely helpful for us. Um, and the last thing is if you're worried about costs and, and some security stuff, Trusted Advisor is a great first thing to jump into. Last thing really quickly is some of the services that we're looking at um, that we're excited about, API Gateway uh, as we go global. Um, so we, use, we work with US headquarters companies, but a lot of them are globally based. Uh, the API Gateway uh, has some really interesting things in, and some tie-ins to WAF, which are really nice. Obviously, we're using Docker and Docker Swarm ourselves, but ECS uh, is making lots of strides and being improved. 
Uh, we keep an eye on that. We're uh, looking to move to that uh, potentially. Lambda, obviously, there's, I don't know, maybe like half the sessions here are about serverless. I feel like we're so behind. Um, we're only using it for our uh, canary monitors. So we have monitors that just fire things off uh, and run test parts of the system. That's what we use Lambda for today. It's great for that, but uh, there's lots of places in our system we could leverage it, and we keep looking at ways to, to do that. And then two more interesting ones, uh, transcoding, is you get all these media files from uh, mobile devices. They tend to be, especially on Android, very different formats. Transcoder lets you put that into a standard format, makes that easy. And recognition, uh, Amazon recognition, uh, for looking at some of those images and doing some post-processing, as well as uh, some of the new IoT stuff that's coming out. So that's it from my end um, about LiveSafe, and most importantly, my team. Uh, they do an amazing job, and uh, that's why we're here today. Thank you. Thank you. Sweet. Hi. I'm Sridhar Katragada, and I work as a systems analyst at Virginia Beach. And I had been with Virginia Beach for seven years, and before that, um, I was, uh, my background is in civil engineering and geological engineering, and I was in spatial world for a while, and now in the cloud world. <laughs> and here, uh, StormSense uh, becoming a resilient region, uh, a resilient region, is what we are doing, trying to do here is, uh, StormSense is a project, which is a project which is out of uh, our competition. We have uh, done like a Shark Tank competition in uh, NIST, uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. And that's where we started off this project here. So we are looking at two things here, the problem or opportunity of strong senses in dealing with. And here the problem is increased flooding. And then the opportunity is regional re resilience. And how do we do that? I think how do we do with technology? That's what I'm going to show you today. And then see how that, uh, that comes together. And here on the technology side, how does Thompson's solution address the challenge? and we are trying to use data science and modeling in this aspect. And here I'm looking at the AWS services and how we are going to use them and leverage them. And here we are going to do model, pred model predictions and also the sensor data to make it uh, more accessible to the public. And here are troubleshooting uh, effective sensor types. So these are some of the lessons learned I'm going to mention here about the real-time communications and technologies, and also share our approach next year with the uh, AWS uh, marketplace, so via the AWS marketplace. So Hampton Roads region is on the eastern coast of the United States, and it's uh, second largest population, and usually the whole area is 1.7 million people, and uh, Virginia Beach is 430,000, around that, uh, the, uh, that much is the population there. And then we have like 400,000 properties around in that area. And currently the, the existing messaging systems as well as the communication of the data itself is an issue and we are trying to, we, trying to take uh, a way to look at that issue and then use data to be able to inform the citizens and raise the awareness of the citizens. And the perception, the behavior, and the decision making, all these things are parts of the things which we can use to make citizens uh, more informed about the flood risk. And here, these are some of these snapshots of the, the flooding which has happened in that area. And it's in the eastern seaboard. It's the it has the largest naval base. And the eastern fleet is resident there. And that's another thing which we have to take care of in that regional cities there. And how do we start a project like this? And being in city, uh, we have to look outside the box. And what we have done here is regionally we can have participants and then the local, we have 10 cities or surrounding cities. So we started partnering with two or three cities as a starting point. And then also we started competing into smart city communities, smart cities and community challenges in, that, in the region in nationwide. And then that formed partnerships, and the partnerships became action clusters. Action clusters are clusters where you bring innovative ideas, and you have a shark tank-like challenge of 10 minutes. 
you propose your project and you may get funded or you may not get funded. But what happened for us is something called replicable smart city technologies was the funding mechanism which brought us together. And these are all the different cities there. And then the action clusters will become super clusters, have become super clusters, which are in transportation, public safety like that. And we are part of public safety. So our mission was to actually do a replicable, scalable, interoperable, and measurable uh, project. And that's what we are doing here in this. And GCTC is our, our smart city challenge, which we applied for. And then we were awarded for that. And then the sensors and modeling. These are the solutions. So here what we did was we have water level sensors in the city. Currently, in July last year, we have 10 sensors installed by US Geological Survey through the city funding. And then we are currently, this year we have installed another 17 sensors. And then in the next year, we'll be installing another 25 sensors to 30 sensors in the city. And these are ultrasonic sensors. And I'll go in much detail there. And here there is a high resolution hydrodynamic modeling is done by Dr. Derek Loftus and from, that, uh, from the Virginia Institute of Marine Science. And his data, his modeling is being used from the sensor data in the future to corroborate the model. So that will be the boundary conditions which it's be form, formed across on the, in the region. And then we have all the other federal agency data which we are pulling in. There are desired deliverables is, deliverables is to densify the sensor network to support modeling. You can do modeling without the sensor network and data. The modeling will show different scenarios, but nothing is real. So that's what we are trying to do here. And then streamline the data interoperability. And then we wanted to uh, make the, the charting and mapping available so that it's easy to integrate with this data. And then also the precipitation models, which are very important now because you have rapid successive precipitations happening and that is causing more flooding in unpredicted areas. So we are trying to look into that. And what we are trying to do is the regional precipitation sensors are there. We are trying to integrate all of them. And then the data analytics, real um, time voice activated systems and modeling and AI is part of our, our work which we are trying to do. So prototyping a sensor. So this started off as a, as a uh, thinking that, okay, where the sensors are for first currently being used and in the region-wide and worldwide. So we, we saw Iowa Flood Center is one place we have seen 100 to 200 sensors being used from last five years. And then we have seen in Philippines, they have been using 1,000 sensors for flood modeling. So we thought that what are these different geographical regions and what are these different type of sensors? So here we got a sensor, prototype sensor. We brought it into, a, and this um, is, you can see the box with the power module, and then you have the Wi-Fi wireless and virtual hub. And then you can see that these are pretty easy to install. So this one is at my home, and so I, I went to Home Depot and brought two gauges, rain gauges, and then set that up, and I told my son that let's take a look. He's 11 years old, and he's used to connecting chips at home to the computer and playing music with it. <laughs> so I thought this would be a good experiment with him. So we did that, I think, um, so we installed, this is the sensor you're seeing, an ultrasonic sensor on, on one of the gauges, and then you can pour water in the other one, and you can see in real time in the cloud, the sensors, uh, the water level up and down going on that computer there. And these are the two types of sensors we are using currently. The flow line is a sensor company and then uh, Scenic. Scenic is a sensor company where it is being used in uh, Philippines and also in Iowa. And the box looks like this. This is the current installation box. So these are the power modules and actually what the power management goes through a battery and then the solar panel. So that's on the right side, you are seeing that. It's, this is in Newport News near our city. And here's the sensor modeling network, and these are different locations where we will be installing all our sensors. And on the right side, you are seeing, uh, seeing the sensor, the modeling, uh, the hydrodynamic modeling part of the e software, which we are trying, thinking of putting onto the AWS cloud. And that's one of the parts which we'll be looking at. 
And here is the IoT stream gauges uh, locations. And then in the middle part is the, is the hydrodynamic model system where the hydrodynamic model will be getting all this data together into the system and then be using the Esri software also to, to bring the uh, raster data sets together and then show the flow conditions every six minutes or half an hour interval so that we can do informed decisions. So here is, an, uh, here is ODU, is, uh, Old Dominion University is a campus there and then water levels extracted from the grid cells with uh, water level observations. So these, they do in the modeling, this is the modeling process and just uh, giving you an idea of what happens in that. They run Python scripts and then once they have that, here's the water rise in the, uh, in the area and how it's going to show flooding. And the data here which is being used as high resolution is we are talking about five meter resolution so you can see the street level flooding, and that's and then that compare that combined with the data coming from the sensors, it's going to give a better idea for the citizens to be able to evacuate an area or place their car in a safe location so it's not flooded. So that's what we are trying to do trying to do here. So here we are looking showing some cloud technologies here. There's the spatial cloud, and, and this is a vendor cloud, and then the Amazon Web Services EC2 cloud, the platform, and how we are leveraging these. So I'll go into more detail in that. So here's the parts of the, parts of the different uh, pieces of the puzzle. And this is, uh, I'm showing you a schematic here. From left to right, you're seeing the different agencies on the top. And then the local governments at the bottom here, on the left side, so local governments have different sensors. Their water utility networks have sensors. Their storm pumps have, so their storm water, uh, water uh, organizations have their sensors. And they detect mostly the precipitation. And then we are collecting that. And then we'll be collecting that through AWS S3, put them in S3. And then also we are using the mean stack model for uh, early prototyping and then we are moving then we have moved into the AWS, DynamoDB, and structures like that. And then on the right side, you are seeing the mapping platform, and then the city officials will be engaging in that process. So here in the early stages, we were prototyping. In the prototype I'm showing here, the StormSense. So what we did is in the initial prototype, we were taking some data sets and doing from on an on-premise on, on DB. And then we slowly moved into, into a different model like doing in MongoDB, which I'll show you. So here we are doing a Node.js and MongoDB stack, and then we are trying to get the data at six minute intervals from USGS data as a starting point, and then trying to pilot that. So what we did is, and then we wrote Grunt, and uh, we started serving that data in a scheduler so that every six minutes it gets updated, and there's a REST service which can be consumed. So from that, uh, so this, this is part of that, and then on the right side we are trying to now, what we have done is we have modeled into AWS this whole system such that we can leverage DynamoDB and also the S3. And also we were looking at, uh, we also added the Lambda functions in that for supporting the Alexa. So this is here is a summary of uh, looking at the scalability, repl replicability, and serverless. As, we, as I was talking about the GCTC, which is about replicable, so that's one of the key things for us to move to cloud is how we can do one solution and replicate that to other regions in the US and around the world, whether this can be functional or not. And that's where we are trying to get that replicability part in the AWS cloud so that we can use these technologies for wider audience. 
So the IoT sensor data comes into, and then the EC2, we are using currently there uh, as a Windows, and then we are also going to use Linux in that. And then it goes through Amazon DB, uh, DynamoDB, and then it gets the data to the S3 bucket, and then and if it's a long period, what we'll do is accumulate the data into the glacier, and then what we'll do is use that for our for analytics and all that. So this is the mapping. Uh, so the data which streams out of that, out of the AWS is going to directly connect to the mapping, and it can show six minute interval data sets updating. So here, you're looking at three different intervals, zero, 12, and 24 inter intervals, at that same location, what the water is doing. So it's, it's the levels of the water, and it depends on the different aspects. So here you can look at the graphs of the data of at that different intervals. And so CardoDB is one type of mapping technologies, and then ArcGIS is another type. So all those can be used directly out of the box to integrate with, these, with the AWS um, web services which are run through. And here you're doing at one, these are, we are looking at, uh, at one hour intervals, the data and the flow. And then storm sense and citizen awareness. And this is, the, this is one of the key things we are looking at, is how we can inform citizens directly on their cell phones and be able to raise the awareness of the neighbor of their neighborhood and what is happening in their neighborhoods and actually what we are seeing is in the insurance world we are seeing that a lot of people after these events are happening they are telling oh i should have gotten insurance or i'm not insured and why there there is a little bit of lack of understanding between the insurance versus the versus the flood risk and what we are trying to do here is raise that awareness through these technologies such that we can be part of that awareness will really let them do, do some actions on their part to be away from the hazards which are going to happen. Alexa, ask Tom sends water level at London Bridge. The water level is currently 0.98 feet at London Bridge Creek at RD58 at Virginia Beach, Virginia. Alexa, ask Tom Sense water level at Thalia Creek. The water level is currently 0.54 feet at Tamiya Creek at Route 58 at Tamiya, Virginia. So that's the Alexa part. So the Alexa here, what happens is so we have REST services coming out from the sensors, and those REST services are connected to Alexa. And then we can ask Alexa general, uh, general questions. So our hope is as we are developing this, in the water, water level scales, we have the water levels which are rising, and then the precipitation which is falling, and we also have groundwater monitoring network for the water which is coming and changing in its space in the ground. And what is happening in our area is because we have 35 miles of coastline, our water table is very high. And we are at times seeing that when the precipitation is very high and repetitive, what happens is within five days, if you have a repetitive precipitation of two days, then you're seeing water cannot go anywhere. And you're seeing the rise of water levels in higher areas too. And how we can see that system is through this technology of bringing AWS and then bringing all the data sets in real time. And also we have at times 20 years worth of data for groundwater monitoring. And what happens is for us as data scientists, what we are seeing is we are seeing a lot of times when these events are happening, we are seeing only small slivers of data sets and we forget after a month period or after a year period about that event. But what we can do with this technology is use, the, use this technology to be able to see in the broad spectrum over the 20-year period what different precipitations have affected in different areas. And then we can build that into the AI 
for our citizens to be able to use the cell phones and then give them an idea and for the decision makers to also understand the system and then for the city officials to be able to see the different parts of different storms over a period of time we will become better at, at that prediction so that's what we are hoping for in this strategy so here is our, our data scientist uh, from the city uh, she has looked at taken the data from our sensors for one and a half year and what she's showing is she's showing these peaks of what is happening of the surface of the water and at this level here at one location we are seeing the peaks at three different events which are happened which have happened as storm events in that area so there's those are the three events there she's showing i think the Hurricane Hermine and uh, Julia and Matthew. So our future plan is to integrate the modeling part into the uh, storm sense uh, and then be able to show that. And then finally on the right side you're seeing surge print is nothing but like in a, in like by in a street level, like a grid level, they can print the, the issue or the hazard within a six hour period or things like that. So these models are running. So when a hurricane starts, we can run around 36 hours beforehand and every six hours and then we can and reduce to every 30 minutes the interval of telling what is going to happen in the city. And that's our future plan for that using AWS. So we also applied for the city on a cloud and competition this year and we're recognized for that, and we won the uh, Best Practices Award. So as part of that award, we uh, were uh, given $50,000 worth of credits. So we are using that credits for our one-year expansion of uh, using the technology. And the lessons, um, one of the key things we realized uh, is embracing the cloud technologies. I think. I think participating in, uh, in the federal space, like trying to compete in smart communities, smart cities, competitions, and engaging in that has become a, a good benefit for us. And those engagements have brought us with AWS and collaborations with the cities surrounding us. And then also we are looking at, uh, at the, so those challenges, so the important thing what we have to do is when we are looking at this is looking at small application and then trying to leverage the small application into bigger applications. And also choosing between on-premise and cloud always becomes a debate as cal cal cost calculators and hard to work with for uh, budgeting projections what we see in the city. But uh, the important thing is, is credits are something which we always keep an eye on, but it's not the only e issue we have to be, be uh, like, uh, be, uh, what I can say is afraid of. So don't be afraid of that. Just try to start looking into it, and then you will not be, it will not be that uh, credit intensive. Like I had worked in the RCS online cloud for like four or five years, and I've seen that it's not going beyond our extension, so we can really keep that mechanism. It's same with AWS or any other clouds. And then their ease of, uh, ease of AWS uh, a free tier was one thing. I started off on Christmas on 2016 and started dabbling with AWS. In two months, three months, I could create all this technology for us to, to start off in at least getting the data out. And then with the help of uh, Raymond Chang and, and Sri and the engagement with them, I was able to get to the Alexa side. And then we are now looking into the chatbot so that the citizens can actually talk with the, with the cloud. And there are a multi multitude of products. I know the products are overwhelming, but still you can take small applications and then design the products and then you can scale them quickly. So you, the best way to embrace is, is work in the environment and find components that suited our needs. 
So that's, that's one of the, and also I think the main thing is you have to have the big picture. So the big picture and then an application you want to, you want to scale within a short period of time. That's what we are seeing quite a lot. I think in the voice activated real time systems, that's a huge benefit uh, we are going to get from AWS. And on-premise systems, the difference between that, you can see that the difference is on on-premise, it's harder to get, and in AWS environment, you can have a lot more expansion and leverage of engaging with citizens. So these are the these are the, our, our future plans, and then the benefits is having these sensors, and then the and then also also coming up with a project within the city and then engaging the city. So what we have done is uh, the CIP is a capital improvement program. So every year we can apply for, we can create a project idea and then put it through our council and then they usually look at that and then within the city they, they fund some of these projects. And one of the projects was our sensor project, which we, so I wrote two projects. One was with the hydrodynamic modeling as well as the sensors and another was, one was just sensors, and the sensors was funded. So with that sensor funding, we got, we are going to have at least 30 sensors, 30 to 40 sensors installed in the city. And StormSense was funded by NIST. And StormSense and StormSense VB are nothing but similar. StormSense is the regional project of Hampton Roads with 10 cities, and StormSense VB is our project in the city, so these are, and we all are collaborating in this to move forward. So that's the, and then the IoT sensor approach is replicable. So that what we are looking at, uh, and as a NIST uh, strategy for us is also when we are doing this project, we have to do measurable and replicable parts of it and we have to write in journals. So we have one or two reports going out in journals. So or you can look for what we are trying to do and we are looking at the power management of the sensors. We are looking at the scalability and we are also looking at how these sensors are responding, the different types of sensors we use and what are the communication mechanisms. Currently we are using Verizon and then also we are looking at uh, Ingenue which is a technology of machine to machine communication technologies. Like these are like seven or eight base stations in the city each base station can support 64,000 devices. So we are having three sensors with that technology going to be installed. So that gives us an idea of the communication part. And then the cost part, we have USGS sensors installed and we are using our sensors from our projects. So we are seeing the cost benefits and how that will work out for us. And this is our team here, and here we are comprised of three cities. These are the bigger cities there, and then also in the front is uh, Dr. Sakuri. He's from NIST, and he's our program manager for the for the for the Stompsense project. And Dr. John Derek Loftus is a research scientist from Virginia Institute of Marine Science, and that's in William and Mary, and uh, he's uh, our program manager on the Stompsense project. Thank you. Thank you, Sridhar. Uh, we still have a few more minutes. If you guys have any questions, just raise your hand and uh, we'll try to get those. 